This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Skipper Schindler has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. Forget about Norwich, it's the warm-up episode 116. It's Brady and Tom, it's the West Brom preview. Tom, how are you doing? Oh, hi Brady, that caught me off guard. You, I mean, you started going to me now first rather than the guests, so yeah, I'm not bad, mate. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I don't want you to feel left out, Tom, because, you know, don't, don't think I don't care about you, because we do, that's why we do it together. Just want you to oh. feel alone. <laughs> um, anyway, this week we're joined by David Hartrick. David, welcome to the first show of this new season for you. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, very, very good. Very good. Very relaxed. Just had a second of two holidays of the summer, so I'm nice and chilled. Very, very nice. And I'm pleased you came on after uh, you know I teased you about Josh Caroma in the live show. Yeah, well, not only that, I got I got a message telling me that Cosy called me a whopper on the show. I think uh, <laughs> on the main show, not this week, the week before. So there will be retribution for that at some point, no doubt. Wow, we can't be having that. We're going to have to have serious words with uh, Mr. Richard Cosmala. Um, no, I can't be having that. Before we get into the preview, uh, I said I'd do this because I was at Magic Rock on Saturday. Before that, four uh, 0 defeat, uh, ran into a listener who wished us well. Tommy was called Sam. Uh, so shout out to Sam at Magic Rock. Um, nice one, Sam. The keep yeah. listening, keep getting involved. <laughs> Don't forget to like and share and all that. Anyway, um, it's let's. I'm not going to be in a good mood because let's be honest, it's not been a good start to the season. It's been a winless August for Huddersfield Town and Saturday's trip to West Brom looks like a hard task for the Terriers too. Baggies have made a good start to the season. They've lost just once in the league and ran out 4-2 winners at the weekend against Middlesbrough. Um I saw a very interesting tweet from the Championship tat, chat, I should say, not tat. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, about Carlos Corbrand's uh, home record with West Brom in all competitions. So I'm going to read it out to you both and the listeners. So since Carlos Corbrand was appointed manager of West Brom on the 25th of October 2022, they've played 18 at home. They've won 13, drawn three, lost two. 
scored 31 goals, conceded only 11 and kept 11 clean sheets. Dave, I'm going to come straight to you because I know you like your stats, doing the Opta stuff. Not great stats if you're of a town persuasion, but you've analysed Corbran in the past. Um, does this trip to the Hawthorns concern you if you're uh, getting your town glasses on? I think the thing is with, with Corbyn is you know what you're going to get with him. Okay, so you're going to get a well-drilled side who off the ball are going to stay in shape and try and deny your space, who on the ball are going to try and score the same couple of types of goals um, and they're going to keep going into the same areas to try and score them. I think he has got a good squad at West Brom. I think there are some difference makers in that squad. Um, and I think that let let's be honest, their wage bill is is pretty high. They've got some issues. They're they're forcing a uh, they're trying to force their owners out. There's another big protest at the game this weekend, um, but it doesn't seem to affect them much on the pitch. And that is partly because of what Corbyn is like. He is he creates a bubble. He's incredibly intense. I can tell you, there's not much uh, there's not much beyond football that you can sort of have a chat with him. You know, like Neil Warnock, when he's doing his presses and stuff, you can have a chat with him before and after. You can, if you can talk fishing, you can talk to him for hours. You can, you can, you can have all sorts of chat with him. Mark Fothering was quite serious, but you could also have a little chat with him. Corbran is, is very, very serious. He's very, very serious, very, very into football, shall we say. And, you know, me and Steve realised that the only way to kind of get anything from him was to ask him tactical questions. And that's what opened him up a little bit because that's what gets him going. So it doesn't surprise me that record at all because he did the same with Huddersfield Town. You know, he creates a, he creates an incredibly well-drilled side who are, who are tactically excellent. There was on the main show... Because he said I wasn't much of a Corbran believer, uh, much of a Wagner believer, and then Matt said I didn't like Corbran either. It's not that I didn't like Corbran. I think the thing about Corbran is you know what you're going to get, and like having watched his West Brom a little bit, his West Brom play very, very similar to his Huddersfield Town. It's just he's got a slightly different caliber of attacking player, so he can do things slightly differently. So. It's an interesting game. I suspect it's going to be a tight game because Town are quite well off the ball. Town are quite well set up, to be fair, um, to, to go toe-to-toe with a side like West Brom and how they want to play. But, yeah, those stats don't don't surprise me at all because that is just Corbyn doing what Corbyn does. Yeah, and in fairness, Dave, even if you didn't like Corbyn, I mean, let's be honest, Town fans didn't really like him until that second season anyway. So, uh, anyway, Well, and- it wasn't just to clarify. It wasn't that I didn't like him. I did like him, and I I thought he was good. It's just I've only ever seen him be like really good at the same thing. And even mm-hmm. when he's gone to West Brom, his template is kind of exactly the same, and he's getting the same. Don't get me wrong. He could achieve the same result. You know, he he could get that West Brom team comfortably into the playoffs this season. No no doubt about it. But it's just my my big issue with Corbran was always that he's really, really good at, at getting size to control games. But then if a game gets away from him, he really struggles to change it. But I think you have to look at his history with Bielsa, you know, and we all know what Bielsa does, which is plan A. And if plan A don't work, do plan A better. And that is kind of what Corbran's sort of made of too. So you've got to kind of just overcome 
what you know he wants to do, but he gets his side so uh, that town side second half of that second season was just they were just so well drilled. You know, I, th- I think back to like that two 0 win at, at Coventry where it it was kind of pop and crisps to town because they were just doing things that they were just doing through muscle memory. You know, they weren't having to try, they weren't having to think about things tactically. And that's kind of the position he wants to get his sides into where it's a very natural thing, you know? Mm. Yeah, no, they were very slick, actually. You make a good point. And uh, yeah, Dave, come on. We know you love town. I mean, you do several podcasts about it, so you must like it at some point. Uh, Tom, I'm going to come to you because we've got some really good insight from Dave there, but you are, of course, our certified booing expert for Carlos Corbin. Um, will you be booing this weekend and how are you feeling about West Brom? Uh, I'm probably over the booing now, to be fair. Oh, yeah. um, I, I might give him a little one, just like a little, maybe a thumbs down from a distance. Um, kind of <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't, I mean, they've had a, they've had a good start, haven't they? So what are they, seventh, just outside mm-hmm. the playoffs, but I mean, they've conceded in every game they've played, so I think that's kind of a you've got to kind of cling to that kind of thing. They've not they've not kept kept a clean sheet yet, but I guess neither had Norwich till they played us on Saturday either. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's got it's going to be tough away away fixture there. Like Brady, you've run through the stats already. Bloody hell, what a record he's he's got there in in making it a bit of a fortress in it. So, but. I mean, this. I think I've said it last week. My cliche this season: if someone, if someone's gonna change that, it's Neil Warnock. Let's see how boring that gets after after ten games. Is this our Jack Rodoni will get his first goal? Last yeah. season? Uh, Dave, obviously, you, you talked a little bit about Carlos's sides and um, you know how well drilled they are. But you know, looking at it, and obviously, you know, Warnock's a very different type of manager. Do you see any weaknesses in that team that you think Tank can exploit? They do concede. Um, it, it's difficult because if you're asking me, do I see weaknesses in that side? Yes, I do. But do I see weaknesses in that side that I think Huddersfield Town can exploit? I'm not as sure. I think the way Carlos plays is... If, if you come up against a side who are really high intensity, uh, who are willing to take lots and lots of risks in attacking positions and really want to up the ante and get that tempo to a point where, where Carlos's team is unhappy because what, what Corbyn teams want to do is control the ball and they want to pick their moments. And it, like I said, it's that, it's that thing about trying to score the same couple of goals, you know, like... If you can, if you can really overcome that through, you know, a bit of piss and vinegar more than anything else, then I think you've got a chance. But at the moment, I just, I can't see that from this town side because what you have to be is like ultra clinical. So you have to take, if you get four chances in the game, you have to take at least two of them. And at the moment, would I back anyone in a town shirt? I mean, Ward is getting dogs abuse, but I think that's letting off several people very, very lightly in attacking positions in that town side. I really, really do. I think he's become a cover-all for... Well, I think there are a few people, shall we say, who are quite happy that Ward is getting dogs abuse because if if he wasn't, somebody might be looking at their form in front of goal. Um, so, yeah, it, it depends. If they can suddenly 
turn themselves into a sort of high tempo, really clinical side, which, you know, the last time they were, I hate to say it, but that's what they, they were really clinical under Carlos Corber. And, you know, it was, they always scored two goals, didn't they? <laughs> it was, it was all, that was just his way. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, Stephen Chicken, to let you into a secret, is quite convinced and has been since the fixtures came out that Town are going to win this one. It's just something he feels in his in his gut. I'm less convinced, but I wouldn't be surprised if they got a, a draw from the game. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Warnock sent this out to actually be quite a really smelly, horrible game. Because <laughs> yeah. I can kind of see the value in doing that as well. Potentially playing with a what what vert, what equates to basically a back six and just saying if you want to control the ball you can have the ball but you you're not going to get any space. Um, mm. So we'll we'll see we'll see. But I do fancy West Brom to score, and that means Town have to score. And at the moment, it's like, can you can you guarantee Town are going to go at a goal a game at the moment? I, I can't. <laughs> I can't. No, I can't. Yeah, I mean, I was there. I was there on Saturday, and yeah, um, you just kind of and that game was done after two 0 It felt like the old days where it's like if a team gets two goals, we just don't look like scoring. But um, anyway, Tom, I'm sure you can find something to to cheer us up because uh, I think I heard the corner flag is back in action after Isaac and Benza kicked it that time against Man United. Um, so that means only one thing: it's time for Tom's history corner. Tom's history corner. Um, yeah, a bit of a positive this week, Brady. Um, so we've played West Brom 77 times, um, my stats tell me, um, and Town come out on top just with 31 wins, 19 draws and 27 defeats. So, yeah, we're, we're pipping them at the moment. Uh, the first ever meeting was in 1910. Town lost 2-0 at home, and then the first win came two years later uh, when Town emphatically won 5-1 at home in the top tier of English football. Um, then in the 50s, there was an amazing six-goal thriller at Leeds Road, again in the top tier, where it ended 3 all um, in front of 28,000 fans, that was. Um, Glazard, Watson and Quested scored. And interestingly enough, Quested, born in Folkestone, where I live at the moment, which I found very interesting. And he played I think it was over like 100, 150 games for town and also a bit of a Fulham legend, it turned out. Um, and then we've got a number of players that have played for both. So David Cork in the 80s, I think he started at Isle, um, went on loan to from, from town to West Brom. Um, Carlan Grant, obviously, very recently. Delroy Facey started his career at town, went on, uh, went on to only play nine games for West Brom during his time there. Ronnie Walwork, Ronnie Walwork, you remember him? Played for town on loan for a little bit, stole a car as well, I think. He got jail time for that, maybe, or got out of it. Um, <laughs> and then big Ishmael Miller. Um, who can cool. forget Ishmael Miller? What a legend. I remember him leaving City for West Brom and thinking, bloody hell, West Brom, I've got a gem here. And then, then you look at his career after West Brom and... It <laughs> It's one of those, isn't it? I mean, can you think of any others? I I, I actually found this one one of the harder ones. This, um, I think Lee Peltier again might have played a 
a few games for West Brom potentially. I'm not sure, but um, I did find this one quite hard finding some uh, coloration there. Yeah, no, it's weird, isn't it? Because I I was just thinking while you were talking, then and like I don't know, not in a bad way, but because West Brom are typically a, like a yo-yo side for the Prem. Like I don't think there would be much overlap because yeah. like, they've never been in the Prem. So no, uh, yeah, Carlon was obviously the one that sprung to mind, which I think you know, talking about that that chance for Felix better every every single day, doesn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I feel I feel for Carlin Grant because. Carlin Grant, like, you play Carlin Grant a certain way to get a certain tune out of him. And it's like since he left town, nobody's tried to play him that way. It's quite yeah. it's quite weird. I still think there's a player in them. I think the loan this season might might do him some good. But, but there was no way he was going to play much under Carlos Corbran. He's just not a he's just not a Corbran player by any <laughs> by any metric, really. He feels like a bit. I know we say this, and obviously we love bringing a former player back, but I actually feel like he'd be quite a good warm-up player. Really, seems like he likes that type of management. But you, you've kind of got Josh Caroma, who's supposed to be doing that exact job. Hmm. And you know, we had the furious fist fight outside Magic Rock over Jack, Josh Caroma's contract in the summer. Brady, um, you know, <laughs> I still my back's not not right yet. Um, I, I kind of, I think they needed somebody in the squad to do that role, but I, I probably wouldn't have gone with Josh Karoma, as you know. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, you, you could see Carlin Grant immediately slotting into the, the way Warnock plays. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you couldn't have Carlin Grant and Josh Karoma on the pitch at the same time. I don't think is the issue. No, no, true. Shame with Carlin. Um, he's played double the games for West Brom and only I think he's only scored about maybe, I think it's something like four more goals than he did whilst he was at town and he played, well, half half the amount of games. I, Danny Carlin on it, got, got a tune out of him. Yeah, mm. but this is this is where I really feel for him because I was I watched a game, I can't remember if it was last season or, or before, where he was basically being played as a wing-back. And it's mm. like, have you ever, has anyone ever watched... Carlin Grant playing yeah. what he's good at before because that ain't it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's just weird, isn't it? I, I mean, obviously, I, the only thing I remember is he scored that. Was it the penalty? You know, for that ridiculous one that saw the when we were two 0 up and they ended up drawing um, in that playoff. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Mm. season. Yeah, because Andy Carroll scored didn't he? Free agent. We might come on to him in later. <laughs> he was suggested. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I mean, talking about West Brom and, and players who are actually there, that, that might be good for the listeners. Um, is there anyone that stands out for you, Dave? I mean, obviously, the, the player I like who, you know, would never come to town in a million years because, you know, he'd probably want money and wage um, is Jed Wallace. I really like him. But obviously, they've got a few players who stand out. Don't like you, I love Jed Wallace. I've spoke about him on the other podcast a couple of times. And he's just, he's been one of my favourite championship players for a couple of years. And, you know, he can play centre and midfield, he can play as a 10, he can play as a second striker, he can play left, can play right. He's just just a great player, but they've got quality right across that squad and they've got quality in areas that Town haven't is slightly the worry because they've got a lot of quality in midfield and in in positive positions from midfield. Um, you know, 
they've taken Saramento from from Brighton on loan, uh, who's featured in I think every one of the games since he got there. Scored at the weekend as well. I think his first game was at the weekend or the weekend before, which was his first goal for the club. And if you said to me, take a, a player from the Brighton squad who's sort of perfect for a core brand team, as in he's going to make sensible decisions with attacking passes and recycle the ball properly to retain possession. That's him. But they just have a lot of a lot of options and a lot of quality. Mm. You know, you, you look at their striking options. Josh Mazur is a, is a funny one because I think I've never seen it with him, you know, mm. cut to Mazur scoring a hat-trick at the weekend. Yeah. But I've just never really seen it with him. But he keeps getting very good moves and, and lots of the right people really, really like him. But... I think it's. I think it's not. It's not a single option that impresses me from that squad, or I think can hurt Town. It's the options they can choose from. You know, there are. I would argue there's probably three ways he could set up that first eleven midfield and attack wise using like nine players or so in different rotations. So, yeah, it's difficult. But Jed Wallace is just. He's just brilliant. He's just phenomenal. I've been banging on about him for two years, and I just love him. If he was at your club, you'd have his face tattooed on your face. <laughs> I think I probably would. Um, Tom, obviously, uh, Dave's waxed lyrical about um, uh, Jed Wallace. There, they do have a lot of players. Do you do you think this is the winless run going to continue? I know it's early days in the season, but it has been a tough start, hasn't it? Um, yeah, it probably is, isn't it? To be honest, I, like it, it's a big, it is a big ask. Like you've gone through their stats and stuff. I mean, talk their squad, bloody hell! But, but Brady, I feel like we said this last year, and I feel like we gave them a, a decent, a decent game. So mm-hmm. you never know, do you? I mean, John Swift is my guy that I just absolutely mm-hmm. love him. I, I remember when he left Reading, there was murmurs. There was like, oh, maybe town. Town could get him in and bloody hell, what a player he'd have been in if you could get him. Um, I mean, then you've, you've just still got like the likes of fucking Alex Mowat knocking around and Phillips and that. It's just, uh, it's, it's a really, just name-wise, it's a it's a good championship squad in it. Like, it's a bit worrying when you read through it. But, um, I mean, I'll, I'll look at like last, last season and we... We went there against a pretty similar West Brom squad and we were very unlucky, weren't we? I mean, it was mainly down to, I mean, Warnock will probably remind Matty Pearson when we get there that it was all his fault that we lost last year. So (laughs) Um, maybe there'll be a bit of a redemption story coming on Saturday. Oh, I'd like it. And to be fair, he's already given away a penalty last week. So, you know, yeah, got that out of his system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Tom, obviously, we're, we're making everyone feel a bit glum heading into this one. Um, let's let's just end it quickly because uh, it's time for the fan phone in. So, um, who did you call up this week? Hello, this is Tom Bradshaw, and you're listening to the Fan Phoning. Hello, caller. Tell us about your team. Hiya, mate. Um, tell us about yourself and what positives you take from West Brom's season last season. 
Hi there, Chris Hall here from the Albion Analysis Podcast, um, ahead of Albion's game with Huddersfield at the Hawthorns on Saturday. Um, in terms of what positives Albion take from last season, a lot, really, to be honest. I mean, we were absolutely awful during the first half of the, the or first sort of uh, 16 games or so of the season, 17 games of the season, while Steve Bruce was in charge. Um, he left, Carlos Corbring came in and from being bottom on the 1st of November he took us to within one game of the of the playoffs so i think there was a lot of positives to take from last season the reality of last season was that had we not had a litany of injuries towards the end of the the season which robbed us of uh, our entire left-sided attacking threat our best centre half uh, out and out number nine you know we we lost we, i know everybody had injuries but we we lost the spine of our team to a certain extent we we lost both our defensive midfielders at one point we lost our goalkeeper who'd been tremendous um we, we just it was just injury after injury after injury i think had that not happened i think carlos would have worked something of a miracle and got us into the playoffs because as i say I mean, we were in, even in the playoffs for around about 10, 15 minutes on the final day. That's how close we came. So our, our final league position is actually a little bit misleading. You know, we came within one result of making the playoffs. That's the reality of the situation. So I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of positives to take from last season. The difficulty with taking them into this season is that we're having a summer of churn in terms of in terms of squad turnover. It's it. it it it's really it's been a very challenging summer um we have uh, we've we've sold Darroche um who's something of a big loss to be honest none of the rest of the players that we've lost you would consider to be a huge loss um but the the squad is a little light on the ground we've only really brought in Josh Maja and uh, Jeremy Sarmiento and you know i'm uh, recording this on tuesday uh, depending on when you listen to this our squad could look a lot different because pretty much everybody's up for sale this week in the final week of the window so what what our side actually looks like going into the into the game on the weekend is anybody's guess because as i say a decent offer comes in for anybody and the financial state of the club dictates that we have to accept it Right, got you. Um, well, f- touching on that, then, who's your favourite player for West Brom and why? In terms of favourite players, I mean, it's a, it, it, it's it, it's a difficult one. Um, I love watching John Swift. I think he's I think he's fantastic. The 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 way the way he plays, how creative he is. He scored a brilliant goal against Middlesbrough. I know he frustrates some fans. I don't necessarily understand why. Um, I think there's. I think players who do things in a in a languid, elegant way can often be misconstrued as not being not putting as much work in as others. I I don't see it like that. I think and I think there's an element of our fan base that do expect him to be Matthias Pereira at times, which is probably unfair because Pereira's got to be one of the best players to have ever played in the Championship and should never in a million years have been playing in the Championship either. By the way, so John Swift is a brilliant brilliant championship player and I I enjoy watching him. I, I love the dynamism of uh, of Jason Malumbi in in central midfield. He's just he's an all action box to box midfielder. 
no, he's not. He's not necessarily the most skillful. Every goal he scores seems to be seems to be a scrappy, scrambled effort from about three or four yards. But I, I just love that he's a bit of a throwback, and 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 I really enjoy him. And and he's just he's one of those players that um that that you that you look at and you think. If I had the ability to be out there on the pitch, which I absolutely do not have, um, I would like to think I would put as much work in as Jason Malumbi does. And I think he's somebody that fans can relate to. And then alongside him, OK, Koslu is just... He 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 just really complements Jason Malumbi beautifully because... He's not like Malumbi. He doesn't fly around the pitch. He hasn't got he hasn't got the legs that Malumbi's got to thunder around the pitch in quite the same fashion. But he's just this lovely, elegant Rolls Royce of a central midfielder. He you know he he plays balls short. He's not he's not one of these. He's not going to start spraying Kevin De Bruyne esque passes. But the way he just swats players away uh, when they try to take the ball off him, the way he just brings ball down, the ball down in tight spaces and, and, and deals with it, it, he's just fantastic to watch at times. Um, in terms of my thoughts on Carlos's football so far this season, I mean, it's an interesting one because one of the things that he kind of got knocked for at the end of last season was that we weren't adventurous enough, that we weren't dynamic enough um uh, we we when we were winning games we were generally winning them 1-0 and kind of it was it, it was due to a rearguard action that we were largely that we were largely seeing games out but now i mean we, we've we, we've been involved in 16 goals in the opening four games we our games are producing goals we 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 look a little bit porous at the back we 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 conceded uh, Obviously, town fans are very aware of Carlos Coburn's style of football and how it's played. Um, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on how it is and how it's working at West Brom. Uh, in terms of my thoughts on Carlos's football so far, it's an interesting one because at the back end of last season, he was largely being criticised for not being adventurous enough. Um, when we were winning games, they were largely largely 1-0 um, and, and largely due to good defending rather than quality attacking. We, we, we were never scoring a lot of goals. We were never seeing teams off. We, we were barely winning games I, I i can i can only remember a handful of occasions when we actually won games by a two goal margin we were generally winning games by a single goal margin if indeed we were winning them so fans were crying out for carlos to be a bit more a bit more dynamic a bit more exciting well that certainly can't be leveled at him at the start of this season we've been involved in 16 goals in the opening four games of this championship season. So our games are averaging four goals a game. Um, at home, we're scoring a lot of goals. We've scored seven in the last two games, but we're conceding quite a few goals. We've conceded two goals to both Borough and Swansea in the last two home games. We conceded two at Blackburn. We conceded one at Leeds, which was probably our best defensive performance. And we really did keep them at bay quite well. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're a funny side, really, because I think Carlos is still figuring out quite what he is trying to do um, with this with this team. We've we started the season with with a back four. We've adapted now to three centre halves. We've started playing Matt Phillips at, uh, at wing back, who started the season as a left sided midfielder. I, I think the important thing to emphasise with us is we're a work in progress and kind of to the point that I said before, um we don't really know what our squad's going to look like come the close of the window. So 
I think we're going to continue to evolve and uh, and quite what we look like on the uh, on uh, when when we face Huddersfield might not be the same as we look like at close of play against uh, Middlesbrough. To be honest with you. Well, given the tough situation at the moment at uh, the Baggies, who is your favourite signing this summer, um, and can you tell us a bit about them? I mean, what summer signing are you most excited about? We've only made two. Um, I, I like them both, to be honest. Jeremy Sarmiento clearly is a brilliant player. I mean, he's just he's just a skillful, quick, tall player. He's young. He's still learning things, and I don't think Carlos completely trusts him defensively. But he's um, he, there, there's so much talent there. He goes past people. And he scored a great goal for his uh, for his first ever senior goal for the fourth against Middlesbrough. So really, really excited to see what he can bring. And I think as the season goes on, he is going to grow into the side and get more and more minutes. I think we're just being patient with him and easing in, him into things at this present moment in time. The other one is Josh Mazur. And again, I mean, I've liked what I've seen of him, but we've only seen cameos so far. He's he's come on and played a few minutes here, a few minutes there. Corbrand said he's getting him up to speed fitness-wise. So we'll wait and see what it is that, that we end up getting from from Josh Madger. But I think him on, on, on a, on a three-year deal as well, so having him slightly long-term at the age of 24, I think there's a lot to be excited about with, with, with Madger. And finally, mate, what is your score prediction for Saturday? I mean, I'm always loath to predict the Albion to win because it tends to come back and bite me on the backside. But, you know, we've won back-to-back home games. We've we've scored quite a few goals in both of them. So... I'm gonna I'm gonna have to predict us to I'm gonna have to predict us to win even though uh, coming up against a Warnock side that is against my better judgment because he does ha- tend to have a little bit of the uh, the sign over us on occasions but um, I can't see us keeping a clean sheet at the moment because we haven't kept a clean sheet in a single game all season so I'm gonna go in- incredibly confident and say three one to the Albion but um, it wouldn't surprise me if. Warnock came and Warnocked us, to be honest with you, but there you go. Cheers, thanks for coming on, Chris. See you later. And that was the chat there, Brady. There we go. Nice one. Nice one. Um, which leads us on to, um, we talked about him a lot, Carlos Corveran. It's time for Kwan's question. A few things, the things change, but also a lot of things are still the same. Tom, obviously this came from, I thought you'd still have the the deep, deep hatred of, of Carlos Corbran and Boo him. So uh, the question I asked based on that was, he's in the other dugout. So we want to know which former uh, Huddersfield Town player or manager are you still annoyed with? And I quite enjoyed this. There's a lot, a lot of grievances that the fan has, <laughs> fans have. And uh, I will ask you both. Um, be interested to see yours, Dave, but I'll, uh, I'll read some of the listeners out first. Uh, Mark Knoll says, Mark Fotheringham almost destroyed the club. At least he united the supporters because everyone did him. Everyone wanted him out from the start. Um, I don't think they did, to be fair. Uh, but yeah, it didn't take long for everyone to want him yeah. out. Um, Pogwash says, Steve Bruce sold Marcus, Marcus Stewart when we were looking good for promotion to the top tier and didn't really replace him. Bracket, sorry, Martin Smith. Uh, I don't need to remind you what happened next. You certainly do not. And uh, Will HDFC says, um, and these are interesting ones for me, Zanka, Billin, 
yeah, okay. Uh, Pritchard, yeah, fair enough. Um, but he says mainly Corbyn for the timing of his leaving and coming straight back to the league not long after. Um, blame him for us getting relegated when it eventually happened. So that's a nice, that's a nice one uh, there. Um, Tom, are there any? Let's maybe cheer the listeners up. Are there any ones you, any players or managers you're still slightly annoyed with? You know, can, can bring us a laugh in these uh, these sad sad times. Uh, Jack Hunt is always quite a funny one, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I just enjoy the chant mainly, and um, there's a there's a lot of interesting stories about Jack Hunt's thoughts on Huddersfield Town. So um, yeah, I don't mind giving him a good boo when he's uh, when he's back at the Gal Farm, which won't be probably for a while now. He's uh, he's down in League One, is will it? So. Um, can't think of any of us really. I mean, uh, I, I mean, Corbrand did annoy me. Yeah, Corbrand did annoy me. Um, but other than that, players-wise, I can't think. I mean, I was I was pretty annoyed with Jordan Rhodes when he left, but I didn't boo him when he came back, and I didn't boo him when he came back. But I was I was annoyed with him when he went to Blackburn. I was annoyed at you, Jordan, if you're listening. <laughs> well, he's gone now. Uh, Dave, what about you? Any former town players or managers who you're a little bit annoyed with? Yeah, Danny Drinkwater, because <laughs> he made his debut for town in that in the seven-one against Brighton, <laughs> and whenever he's mentioned, they all say, "Oh, yeah, he made his debut again in that seven-one win." Oh, did he piss off? <laughs> uh, and I think, I, I think to be fair, not annoyed, but. I think the way Corbyn left was knowing a little bit what happened behind the scenes, and I wouldn't betray trust by talking about it, but I think he really did sort of leave them high and dry. No one was, I can I can tell you now, nobody was expecting to go into that season without Carlos Corbyn, and things were set up for Carlos Corbyn, and the wheels were moving to create a Carlos Corbyn team and two weeks before the season started, suddenly Danny Schofield had to take over. And like a lot of people have a lot of really harsh words to say about Danny Schofield. I don't because it was an almost impossible situation he walked into. It, it, it genuinely was. And to try and sort of to try and put your own stamp onto something or to change something or to want to evolve something was just impossible in that time frame. And I don't for a second think he did a great job. I think there are different ways to set up and there was a different way to do it. But he, Corbyn really did kind of leave everybody in the lurch. You know, it, it, it was, it was a, a weird one. It was a weird one. So I wouldn't say it massively annoys me, but I think, there's this kind of a, a sort of what might have been there that we'll never know. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, one that annoys me, just because I'm like, why? It's not like I'm actually annoyed at him, really. But Lewis O'Brien, like, why did you have to, like, why was it, did it have to be Forrest? <laughs> yeah. And then, like, also, I know. And also, it's so annoying because, like, it's just, He's not getting games there. Like, obviously, he went on loan to DC United, and I'm just like, oh. And then he's linked with going to Leeds on loan. And just, yeah. I don't know. Oh, such a good yeah. player, and I, I was really like banging the drum for him. Um, like controversially, I know um, this is probably one of my. Weird, it looks like a silly take now, but when he was really linked with Leeds, Leeds under Bielsa, I was like, well, if Calvin Phillips can play for uh, 
England and being managed by Bielsa. I think Lewis O'Brien is that good. Like he could, you know, make mm. a step up in a couple of years. And obviously, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. But yeah, it's just like oh, I just feel like that's such a shame for him, and I'm annoyed that he's gone there and like it's not it's not really working out. But I imagine we'll be seeing him in the Championship. Um, but unfortunately, not for us, which is we awesome. Can, we we can, can see if he's still manages to do everything, but shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Watch, he'll, he'll score against us. But yeah, cool. Well, we got some stuff out of our system there and we are approaching half time. So obviously it's an away game this time. So um, why don't you have some, some beers if you are going down to the Hawthorns uh, and do that by going to uh, magicrockbrewing.com, enter our code AHTDC10 and you can get 10% off all your online orders. Get some tinnies for the road. Um, but obviously not while you're driving. We will not encourage that. Um, I'm going to stop sounding a bit like Alan Partridge there, and we will see you after the break. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Cosy, what, what's your favourite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium, you're right near the pitch, great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You win... Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, cool. So we've changed halves. Let's get stuck into town. So, lads, the transfer window slammed shut on Friday. Any other transfer window puns puns we can get in there, let's talk about that. But ahead of recording, we asked the the listeners on Twitter, um, where do you think the priority for reinforcements is? For Huddersfield Town. So again, four options: goalkeeper, uh, defence, midfield, and forward position. So goalkeeper, one percent. I was surprised it even got one, um, but maybe you know that's because of the the first goal for Norwich. Maybe someone's feeling a bit upset still. Defence was four percent, midfield was twenty three percent, and unsurprisingly, forward positions were seventy two percent. Tom, we have brought in a midfielder. We have talked about the midfield. Pretty much every episode since we've done it this season, uh, we've brought in Ben Wilds. Um, so I wanted to say, are you happy with that addition? And do you think we should look to add to midfield further? Or do you agree with the listeners and think it's uh, the forward positions we need to focus on? Ooh, I mean, me me two years ago is absolutely... I mean, I am buzzing about Ben Wilds, but like, it's whether we're going to get that. The, the one thing that was coming out of Rotherham is that he's... He's just not hit that farm after picking up the injury. And I mean, it's when we're going to see him as well because um, he's still injured. He's still injured, isn't he, at the moment? Or isn't he? No, I think no, he's, he's all not, right. But he's just not right. So it's whether he hits that farm again. But I mean, I, mean, I, I just remember that the season they got promoted and then that season he, he had in the championship with me, absolutely class, looked absolutely class. Pretty much ran the show again for the Mimi scored against us, didn't he? Um, when we were in that that lovely yellow kit that we had uh, 
under Corbran actually. Um, so I I think it's a great sign. I think it's kind of what we're missing. It's the the in between of someone who is experienced at this level, but has still got some legs to go on a bit more. That 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 gap between Hog and Kasumu basically that I think we're missing. Um, I mean every club every club wants an, a striker, don't they? Um, but it's like realistically, who are you, who are you bringing in? I mean, you mentioned. Andy Carroll at the top there. Um, is that is that the answer potentially? Like a realistic one. Um, I don't. I think you don't need a keeper. You don't need a, any defenders potentially. Um, so I mean, it probably all sits up there now for me. Yeah, attacking, but you've got to be realistic, aren't you? Who are you getting in? Mm. Um, yeah, and about Andy Carroll, like we're joking about it now, but obviously we joked about Warnock coming back last season, Tom. So maybe, uh, you know, if it's if it's ten uh, ten forty five on deadline day, then maybe it <laughs> might become more of a reality. Um, Dave, yeah. So I'll ask this in two, really. Like, what what do you think of Ben Wells as a signing? First of all, uh, I think it, I think it's a good signing. I think it's a solid signing. I think that the the thing is the way the Rotherham play. I think their central midfielders can be difficult to judge by certain metrics. Um, And I'm not casting aspersions when I say that. I'm just saying that it's just part and parcel of the life they lead as a football club, really. He's much better on the ball than Hoggy is, Okay, So I think what you're looking at is somebody who can play as an eight, but will probably sit a little bit deeper. Um, You've got Kasumu to sort of carry the ball and take it forward. Whiles is better at a little bit more quarterbacking and his passing is better. So I think it's I think it's a good signing and I think it's kind of what kind of what they need. They need a striker. They need a striker. Now I'm not a big Huddersfield Town need a striker guy and I haven't been on on the other podcast which we won't name. Um but I think at this point I'm not a Harrop booster. I think he's fine. I think he's he's got potential, but I I don't see twenty five appearances in the championship from him at the moment. I think Hudlin has got something different, and I think as an option off off a nine man bench, lest we forget. I think fine, you you probably keep him around, but seeing the treatment that Danny Ward's been getting, um, I just don't think you can sustainably play Danny Ward through the middle for yeah. 40 games. I don't think you can do it on a fitness level either. You know, it's not just a, not just a form or, or fan attitude thing. I just don't, you've got to have somebody who can hook him out. And the thing is, if you're going to say, well, you're going to bring Karoma across to play as, as your nine, I think you have to completely change the shape of your attack because I don't think Karoma's capable of doing a lot of the things that Danny Ward does because teams will suddenly start to play out a different way if Josh Garome is up there and Danny Ward isn't, is the thing. And that's where his value is, like it or not. You know, that's that's what Wardy does. He stops it being easy to pick out midfielders. And then if you look at Bergsorg, I, I think you saw his value when he came on against Norwich in a hopeless situation. He really was still looking to make a difference. And you saw what he likes to do, which is to drive and to take men on and to get to the byline. I think if you play him through the middle, you're almost playing him as a false nine. You've kind of got to get Rodoni into that space 
um, consistently because he's going to vacate it. He's going to go right and left and he's going to want to take people on. So I think what they're missing is a Martin Waghorn. I think what mm. they're missing is a striker, you know, a, a somebody who just comes into the squad and is a striker and isn't clever, doesn't try to do three different things when they're picked, just tries to play as a striker. And then I think what that does is possibly give you the option of playing with a two as well. Um, because I think the other thing we know about Wardy is when he plays in a two, he, he kind of, I wouldn't say he disappears in front of goal, but because he's he's all about the hard work and because he's about the press and because he's about working off the ball, then often, you know, he, he kind of, whoever is alongside him, so take Josh Caroma for the last couple of games of last season where he sort of moved into that space and really shone in the 3-5-2. You, you you kind of need a, another striking option, I think, to be able to possibly play as a two. Um, so, yeah, having not been a big Huddersfield Town need a striker guy, I'm now a Huddersfield Town need a striker guy. I think the wide options aren't too bad, particularly if Pat Jones stays fit. And I think they've got quality from further back as well. Remember, you got Utah to come back in as, a, as an example off the top of my head. But, yeah. You, you look through the middle and I think I, I am still quite high on Danny Ward and I still see the value in picking him and I still see the value of his work and what he does in the squad. But I think you also need to have something else. You need to have another another way to do it because everybody, every analyst in the championship knows everything they need to know about Danny Ward and how to defend against him. And that's not Danny Ward's fault. And I'm not saying it's Danny Ward's fault, but that's just a fact of life. Hmm. I mean, I mean, every thing I I saw this and I look, I don't think this is going to be ha- happen at all. But um, you know, I saw there's some players available out on loan, and uh, you know, I don't I don't think we'd be able to cover the wages. But I just look at like someone who who is available, um, but I think every single Championship club would want him. But Kiefer Moore on loan, I feel like that's the the type of striker that would just transform this team. But um, I just don't. Unfortunately, it's, never gonna happen. it's not going to happen, is it? But yeah, uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I agree with you. I think we do need that striker purely, you know, even I know, like you say, Wardy's got some stick and quite unfair, in my opinion, because, you know, it's not like we've been creating like 10 chances a game for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, like, it, I mean, again, um, listeners are probably sick of us saying this, but, you know, Diara like Harrett Hudlin is they're great, but like we're kind of getting into a situation where we're expecting youngsters who've not even had a full championship season, some maybe haven't had a championship start to come in and like, you know, contribute to the squad, which is fine, but you can't rely on it. You know, anything else is a bonus. So yeah, I agree. Like, you know, that forward position is a worry. And controversially, like I don't um I know people we were linked with this and people were kicking off, but I think if you could get, you know, if you put the chunk of whatever budget we have left on the striker. I'm not actually against bringing in a junior Hoyler just as another option as a winger. I know that won't make people happy, but I just, Pat Jones looks great and he, you know, he had a impressive little cameo, but I just don't think he, he doesn't look like he can stay fit, you know, unfortunately. And I just think like, you don't want to, town can't really be in a situation because as you've touched on Dave, we don't know if Karama is going to be Karama of the last, you know, second half of last mm-hmm. season under Warnock, or he's going to be the Karama we've seen before. And so, the, you know, like you say, he's still working. I'm still a little bit worried because it's, you know, 
it's weird, like, not to get into it because um, obviously they touched on it, but like Coroma, I think like Coroma and Sorba have pace, but they don't really seem to want to beat a man. And the only time I saw Coroma beat a man and he managed to do it was like, you know, just running it and taking him on. And that was in like the, you know, like two minutes before he got subbed off. And it's just, um, you know, maybe that's Warnock asking what I want to do, but. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little bit worried. I'm not going to lie. Mm. Well, I think, but I, the thing is, they need, they only really need one of those players to come into form, and I include Ward in that because how Town and Attack and how they're set up and what they've done over the last couple of seasons has really been about rotating the top form amongst uh, like three or four players. So I think at the moment, I think you know, like I said on the on on our podcast, that town's biggest, I think their their most difficult opposition was the fixture computer because up until the international break, this is a stinking run. I I, I go back to what I said about that Plymouth away game. I, you could not have picked a worse game. You no. could not have picked a worse game to start the season, and it's no surprise to me they are where they are. And I, I kind of, a lot of people are making judgments about a couple of players. A lot of people have made started to think certain things about Warnock. I was speaking to Matt on WhatsApp of this parish. I, I'm kind of reserving my judgment at the moment because I don't feel like I've seen Town go toe to toe against opposition they can beat because I don't think they can beat clubs. I'm not saying Plymouth are a top six club. But at that moment in time, they were a top six club because it's the opening day and they've just come up and they were really yeah. attacking side and the ground was full and everything else. So I'm kind of waiting till after the international break and reserving my judgment to see when they've got a run of not... There's no easy games in the championship, he said, needing a sheepskin coat and a old proper manager's hat and everything. But there's no easy games, but they've then got a run of fixtures that you look at and you think, OK, they need to go here realistically at four points from every nine going forward yeah. and they've got more of a chance of doing that so when you look at a Josh Karoma the thing about Karoma and Sorber and they often play their way into form in a game where they get to bully someone and that's what town needs to do they need to find some opposition that they can bully again because Huddersfield Town even when times are good under Carlos Corbran or, or whoever have only ever really operated with, like I say, sort of two players in peak form at one time. So, like, weirdly, Corbin like, finished the season and one of his players in peak form was Harry Toffolo, who was just taking a piss on that side of the pitch and he was hmm. scoring goals and he was just loving life. And he had Danny Ward in absolute peak form, who was just finding those spaces and doing those Wardy things, but also getting goals. So, they kind of only really need one in a run at any one time. So, if if if... Karoma can put together three or four games and then go off, but Sorba puts together three or four games and then goes off, and then Radoni puts together three or four games and then goes off. That's fine. That's kind of what Town do. So I'm not I'm not there with you yet, Brady. I'm not I'm not worried because I just don't think we've seen them in a fair fight yet. But at the same time, one point four games in, you know, you you can't you can't fight gravity. That's the issue. Yeah, and I'm not normally. I don't think I'm normally pessimistic. To be fair, but I just, um, I just think it's like it's giving you. I completely agree with you. I think these fixtures are really tough. But 
it just gives you a bit of a mountain to climb. I think we've seen, you know, and this is just me from previous seasons, but I always think of that, um, like West um, Cardiff game in the second season, the Prem put so much pressure on that. I just wonder if it's putting pressure, like, you know, you look at the fixtures coming up, that Rotherham game. It already looks like yeah. a big game where they have to win that. Yeah. They can't, I said it on said it on the other podcast, which I keep saying, I know I keep saying it, but it's difficult because I don't want to, I know there's people who listen to both who'll be listening to me repeat myself, but they can't give too many teams a head start this season like mm. they did last year because they won't get away with it two years in a row. Now, at the moment, they haven't. If you look at that league, there's a good clutch of sides on, you know, within within three points of each other. It's fine. We're four games in. Nobody should be panicking yet. But what they can't do is get to eight or nine games in yeah. and still be on two or three points. And they're suddenly being maybe only five teams at the bottom in contention. And then there's a game gap to the next lot because very, very quickly, they can't afford to get cut off into a mini league again this season because mm. last year I mean like genuinely it was a miracle it, it was it was a miracle which is one of the reasons I kind of didn't I, I, I wouldn't say I was against them bringing Warnock back as I explained it was more a case of I'm not against it but you can't lightning rarely strikes twice so your best case result this season is just trying to stay up but I just think if it gets into that mini league uh, it's yeah. very, very difficult to because what when you're in that mini league at the bottom, what's really, really difficult is you're all playing the same size, but you just have to keep bettering somebody in that group's yeah. result against the other sides, and it's really, really difficult to do it. It's really, really difficult to do it, and it's it's mentally wearing, and you have to when they've got so much of the squad from last season, you know, this is basically last season's. Almost last season's first eleven. Let's face it. Yeah, that mental toll of trying to of the triumph they achieved, and then rolling into the summer and trying to have a bit of hope. And if they get to the point where there's seven or eight games in, and they realise, hang on, this is going to be another really long hard season, which they'll know in their heart of hearts. But there's a difference between knowing that and saying that. Essentially, that's that's when the pessimism comes. So I kind of. I kind of want to see... I think the international break comes at a brilliant time for town. I think that's the only way the fixtures have worked for them because they can kind of get this run out of the way and go, to use another cliche, the season starts now. The season starts today. Mm. Yeah. And and go on from there. So that kind of works in their favour. So I'm not, I'm not pessimistic yet, but I completely understand the, the pessimism from others, you know, because I can kind of hover above it a little bit. Yeah. And I mean to to um, you know contradict myself. I, I you know bar bar Norwich and I mean we we were talking about it before we recorded. Um, you know how I didn't think we actually played bad in, in spells of that game, but we have been competitive. I think that's the thing. It's not like a Fotheringham way. You know when near like we have we have been competitive. I think it's just you don't have that quality to. No, that's it. Bro. The one the one thing like why not come out after the, the Norwich game and the, the one thing I've really kind of agreed with him on is like but the but also has worried me a little bit and I think it's like from that run we put together was there was no mistakes there was mm-hmm. there was none of this silly goals given away where you're looking at it thinking what the what's going on with that defense why is the why is there the fourth goal against Norwich the gap between the centre backs oh, bloody hell what was that. 
and it's like that, that kind of thing. I mean, Warnock's come out and he's gone through all these goals in the last few games. And and when you do look at most of the goals, they're silly mistakes. But the worrying thing is they're, they're recurring a lot at the moment. And that's that's the thing like, that I'm worried about. I think but that's partly, I think it's partly mental though. Yeah, you know, I think I think it just takes a toll constantly, constantly running uphill, which is what some of them those players will feel. And I think I think my worries are more. I'm not pessimistic because, as I said, I want to see him in a fair fight. But my worries are more around having Neil Warnock across the season. You know, for, so for example, Danny Ward comes to the club, having been at a Neil Warnock side, and he can't get himself fit for a year. And there's. Mm-hmm. Without going into it, there's a reason for that, you know, and it's sort of quite famed that Warnock is a motivator and he's there to infuse. Like Town under Carlos Corbran were the fittest team in that league and that can help you overcome certain problems. I don't think Town are going to be the fittest team in that league this season. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I've said mm. on the other podcast, and I'll say it here, I think there's a very good chance Town can be the best team in that league off the ball this season in terms of getting into shape, trying to control areas, trying to control space, because that's how they finished last season and they can get back there. They're not there at the moment, but they can get back there. But they've also got to be able to to find ways to turn, turn teams around, which is what they did against Sheffield United last season, which is what they did against others in that run. So... Yeah, I, I understand the pessimism, but I'm just not I'm not quite there yet. But I do think there are valid reasons for worrying about the transfer window because I think they will get a striker in. But I I I think that could I think the junior highlight thing will definitely happen, if I'm mm. honest. That's please understand there's no inside info there, but I just think he's been training at the club. He knows Warnock. Warnock knows him inside out, and he will probably think it's another body in those positions where we need bodies, and he might be able to do something. And if he comes off the bench and scores in one game, he's probably justified his entire season's wage for what he will actually be earning to sign on at Huddersfield Town for three quarters of a season. So I think it will definitely happen, but I kind of think the striker and junior highlight is probably a lot probably a lot and a bit like you a lot of pressure on some young shoulders there a lot of pressures on Jackson Diara various others to come up quite big this season in big games but you know the the player is Pat Jones that's that's the player he's the one who really has got an x-factor who really when you watch him in youth football he just takes the piss (laughs) he just takes the piss Carlos Corbran did like a, as he was wont to do, basically did like a huge written report on every member of every squad involved at town at the time. So you had all these about young players, what they needed to do to progress, who was going to make it, who wasn't. You know, great big wads of information on players who they're basically saying never going to make it. Mm. Pat Jones's was a single sentence and it's it was just stay fit. That's all he needs to do to progress to become a proper, proper footballer, just stay fit. And if he can stay fit, he's the one, he's the X factor. He's the one who can make a big difference, be it off the bench, be it starting. He's the one who's going to scare defenders. He's the one who's going to do things and take risks that other players on that team won't. So, yeah, wait and see, Brady, wait and see. 
No, you're teaming up. And yeah, let's let's if like that's that's all I'm saying. I I really because I I think he was yeah he was good in in his cameo as well. So that I, I would certainly like to see that. Um, anyway, I've I've talked about pessimism, but we are going to come on to match predictions here. Um, I'm just going to jump in. I, I think we're going to lose this game. We're going to lose this game two one. Um, I think they're just you know they've got really good home form, and I just. I agree with you, Dave. I can see them scoring, and I think if they get two, I don't see us winning. So, yeah, I'm going to go 2 1. And I think it'll be a Pearson header from a set piece. So, a little bit of redemption sprinkled in there, but it's still a defeat. Um, Tom, what about yourself? Uh, both teams get their first clean sheets of the season. No, no. Yeah. Dave? I was, I was sorely tempted with that, but I. I'll go just to be different, even though I really think it could be nil-nil. I'll go with 2-1 to West Brom. Bergsog gets a tap in, 2-0 down with a couple of minutes left to give a little bit of false hope. But I just, every time I see a Carlos Corbran thing, I, team, I just think, oh, well, that's going to be 2-0. It never is, but that's just what I always think when I see a Carlos Corbran team. Yeah. Well, let's see, because we are keeping nine predictions this season. Need to update that spreadsheet, don't we, Tom? But anyway, uh, yeah, just before we go, that is uh, full time on the podcast, but we've got a little bit of extra time, so that means it's time for the mailbag. You've got mail. Dave, this question is specifically for you. Uh, you kind yeah. of touched on it. Yeah, um, it's not it's not criticism either, so, uh, you know, we... Uh, I'll answer it for you. Uh, unfortunately, I'm married. So, sorry. <laughs> I, that's, that's the one I sent you in private. That's not the one you're going to read out on the podcast. Um, HDAFC Dream. He doesn't ask you for um, something sordid. He asks you, Dave, is it another season of square pegs and round holes, especially if we get a couple of injuries? Yes and no. I, I think, that, like, we all, it's no secret that the squad is being put together. Uh, to run on a budget like Kevin Nagel's talked about it. So there's no, there's no point trying to dress it up as anything else. And that is always going to lead to some round pegs and round holes. But also I think if you do it man position by position, if you think about Warnock's favored formations, and I've spoke a little bit about Warnock, not really having a formation. He kind of, however he lays his team out, they all have about two or three different roles and there's completely different formation in and out possession. But if you think about a kind of 4-2-3-1 or a kind of 3-5-2 or a kind of 3-4-3, if you actually go through it, there's at least two players for every position in, in those formations. But what it's whether you think those players work is the thing. That's, that's the honest answer. I... I think you might look injuries happen and any team that has a run of injuries a la Carlos Corbran's Huddersfield Town in his first season ends up with players all over the place. So it, it could well happen really, really noticeably. But I think what you're looking at is a bit of evolution as well, because, you know, Brahima Diara spent an awful lot of his time being played out wide, being played, you know, up top. He's now trying to be involved into a sort of 10, but not in the true attacking sense, in like a pressing 10, almost like another half for Danny Ward. You've got Ben Jackson, who has played as a wing-back. He's played as a pure full-back. He's played as a left-winger. And it's kind of, are you asking me which position is his best? 
and which which round hole does he fit in? I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. I've seen him play in midfield. I've seen him play mm. central midfield. You know, I think I think we warn up what you've got is somebody who will go, well, if they're good enough and I want them there, I'm going to put them there. So <laughs> they could end up wherever. I think the interesting one, I think the one that makes a big difference is when he's brave enough to bring Uta into the side. Yeah. I, I am... I won't have the conversation here because I'm going to do it on on our podcast, which we haven't recorded this week yet. But I'm kind of staggered at, at Warnock substitutions so far this season, and Uta's need for minutes is is quite big. But the flip side of it is there's another way of looking at it in that he doesn't want to risk him in this run of games. Really use that international break to get him really where he wants him fitness-wise, play him, you know, in an academy game, in a behind-closed-doors game, etc., and then utilise him going forward. Because I just think Utah is one who can make a big difference to that side. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not as Matt Shaw about Josh Ruffles as Matt Shaw is. But, you know, <laughs> would I play Utah on that side if he's fit? Yeah. Would I drop Utah into the three if I played a three at the back? Definitely. Would I drop Uta into the two with Helic? I'd certainly have a look. I'd certainly have a look because as much as I love Matty Pearson, I don't think Pearson's form's been anything like this season. So, mm. yeah, in answer to your questions, there probably will be a few square pegs in, in round holes at various points. But I think you have to understand that part of the reason for that will be in some instances that they're trying to make them rounder pegs by forcing them into those round holes. So mm. we shall we shall see. Yeah, no, and good touching on you, sir. There actually, because I, I, yeah, I, I think he's got something that, um, you know, I, I think he's a bit more of a maybe modern defender than what we have. He's mm. maybe a like, yeah, he's better, better on the ball. His passing is metronomic in its yeah. in its ability. He he's good defensively. But as you said quite succinctly, there, he's just a very modern defender in that. He doesn't. He doesn't particularly want to be throwing himself against goalposts and diving into tackles, etc. He wants to do the Tom Lee's things. You know, Lee's at his best. Doesn't get his shirt dirty because he doesn't have to because he just anticipates, and that's what Utah's kind of about. And I just Utah's Utah's the one that I look and I think defensively, I don't think Town have been up to much this season so far. No. Everybody keeps slagging the attack off. I think defensively, Town have been pretty. Pretty rubs so far, in truth. I think there's reasons for it, and it's quite reductive to just say, "Oh, they're crap." I think there are reasons for it. You know, there's midfield reasons, there's tactical reasons, there's opposition reasons. But I just can't believe we can keep going on and not have a serious look at Utah coming in. Yeah, that's on like on Saturday. The the as good. So we've gone through the goals. We said, I mean. Some, but the third one was very good. But the first thing I thought as soon as that third goal went in, I thought down that. Look, I I don't mind Josh Ruffles, but I thought Uta with his don't know, just he's just got a bit more athleticism about him. He he's he's potentially stopping that cross getting into. He's, row. Just, he's just a better player. Keeping him, you up, may as yeah. well say it. Yeah. He's just yeah. a better player. He's better player. And that's <laughs> not. I'm not damning Josh Ruffles when I say that. But Uta's yeah. Japanese international. He was going to the World Cup. You know, it's like it's, it's Josh Roberts is, is, is a good player and a better player than I think a lot give him credit for. But Utah yeah. is just an upgrade, really. Yeah. But I also think he's potentially an upgrade in the middle as well. Yeah. So yeah. 
Why why is he sitting on the bench? Yeah. Exactly. Okay, final question. This is this is quite this could be a long one, so I'll, I'll keep it short. Uh, it's from Footy Kits for he says, Why when recently we've seemingly had a solid amount of players coming through from the under eighteens and B team structure, have we reverted back to a multiple age group structure when Lewis O'Brien aside delivered very little? Seems like a change for change sakes. The reason I brought this up is because I think well, to be honest, I think we're going to have more investment in it. You know, like Nagel's touched on it, and I think it will make a difference. And I have this argument, well, not an argument, but I have this discussion with a few people. And people, you know, I think people say, oh, well, you know, Huddersfield winning Manchester, winning the Manchester clubs, winning Leeds, like, can't compete. And I, I think you can really flip that. And for me, if you're putting money into the team, you know, we're talking about teams in the championship. Yes, obviously, like, teams like Leeds, unfortunately, we can't, you know, They've got a lot more money than us. But if you look at teams around us, I think it's a real plus point. You know, we've got a good training facility. I think if you can have a real plan, you can pick that there are going to be players from like Manchester, you know, the Manchester Academies, from Leeds Academies, who aren't going to make it in their team that we can pick up. And if we give them, if we show them a platform and a place where they can progress in the team, I do think that's where we can see the academy improving, plucking those players and getting them. Because, you know, how many players from those academies will play for, you know, let's say Manchester United or Manchester City? Very little. Is there a chance they, there's some players who could play in the Championship for Huddersfield? So I, I, I wanted to bring that up because that's, <laughs> I feel like it was going to be a bit negative in this positive, um, in this podcast, but I do feel that's a positive. You know, we were like, if we have a bit more money behind it and really go for it, I do think we can really improve the academy. Um, Dave, I don't know, what, what, what do you think? I go to Tom first. I'm interested in Tom's take on this, just to hear a couple of before I give you a deeply clinical take. Yeah. I think it'd be nice to have a couple of fans' take. Okay, it's really interesting, isn't it? So, I mean, I loved it when we had like, I mean, you have the Tier Academy, in, but uh, when you think of it from a financial point of view, and I, I do, I just think if someone's really, if someone's really good. City, United, they're coming in, they're plucking them out straight away. So that's gone. Do you know what I mean? We've seen it happen already, like in the... Who, who was it that was at... Um, was it West Brom where... It, and he ended up getting picked up by Villa, which is really isn't a crazy gap, but because the contracts aren't really there and stuff. So I don't know, Brady. I mean, I, I, I'm all for it, trying to bring as many people for as possible from a younger age, but then... I'm kind of like with what we do at the moment, they're kind of just picking people up from when they've left clubs and developing them there. Is it the best financially viable option for us? Do you know what I mean? Because no one's sticking around at town if they're good enough for the likes of uh, a move to City or United. Because we are in a sandwich of um, big clubs, unfortunately. But Brady, what you just said, I kind of like the the bit where you're like, but then you've you've kind of got there's teams around us like your Oldhams, your Bradfords, the who you'd like to think Town could potentially cherry pick from. So it, I mean, it's it's a, a bit of a catch twenty two potentially. I mean, I I've not thought about it enough, Dave. So I don't know if that's a <laughs> an interesting enough answer. No, I, the thing is for me, it is absolutely vital to the club going forward to do this from a from a 
What you're trying to do is you're trying to set a structure up that does two things. One, it provides every season one player for the first team squad. Now, that doesn't sound like a massively lofty ambition when we're sitting here looking at Kieran Harrah, Ben Jackson, Brahima Diara, various others coming through. But what you're looking for is you might have a clutch, you have minutes, but you're really looking for one player to come through into the first team squad that the following season goes through into the first team. And the deeply cynical thing is you're looking for that player to be sold for 1.52 million quid, which pays for the previous two years of academy football across the tiers right and that's how you're that's how you're trying to do it so it's uh it's an ecosystem and it's it's capitalism basically that's that's which is a horrible way to describe it but that's kind of what it is you don't necessarily do it for football reasons the football reasons are though you need to give youngsters around here a platform because i think you look at some of the youngsters that town have missed out on you you just not everyone will go to City and United and the thing you have to remember about City and United is it's very easy to say if you've got someone who's good enough they're going to go there but City and United are cannibalizing Barcelona Real Madrid Juventus they're not just cannibalizing Huddersfield Town and there is a world where they will look at certain players and go they're really, really good. We really, really like them. But the best possible thing they can do is stay there and come through. And we can then cherry pick them for two million mm. quid when they've got 40 championship appearances behind them, etc. So I, the problem is Academy, the, the way the structure is at now, in my humble opinion, it doesn't provide them with enough meaningful football. As somebody who's watched a lot of B team and Academy games, the step up into first team training and into the first team squad is really difficult because it's pop and crisp for some of them. You know, I've sat in the stand with members of Huddersfield Town's staff and we've been laughing our heads off at things that Brahima Diara has been doing on the ball in youth team games. And it's not because he's like outstandingly brilliant and should be cherry picked by Manchester City. It's because it's, it's too easy. It's not meaningful yeah. enough. He needs there needs to be more competition. And the thing is going back to a proper academy structure will provide that as a, as a starter. But I think a, I think it anchors you more in your community. So you're going to get whether they make it or not, you are going to get more Huddersfield children and the surrounding areas coming in and playing in Huddersfield town shirts. Okay. For Huddersfield town, and it may be at youth levels where they may not go on to progress to do anything, but if nothing else, it leaves a legacy with them and it, it cements Huddersfield Town in the area. It gives a chance for, for local talent to come through if you can show there are pathways into the first team with players like Brahima Diara, Ben Jackson, Scott High. But the flip side of it is, and the reason I've mentioned Scott High is because if you're a club who does that, and again, I'm I'm trying I'm trying not to be too cynical, but as a crowd, you kind of have to accept that not every player who comes in is Lewis O'Brien. Lewis O'Brien was phenomenal in Academy football, won Towns Academy Player of the Year by a country mile, went to Bradford, and it was 
a dreadful, dreadful season for Bradford. They, I did them a lot that season. They were awful, but Lewis O'Brien was brilliant and he came back and he was ready for the first team. He had been like battle-hardened. He'd spend a, he'd spent a year not just playing football, but playing football on the front lines, like properly on the front lines where every game meant something. So he came back into that Huddersfield Town squad absolutely ready to go and raring to go. And the flip side of that is you can't do that with every player because not every player is built the same. Not every loan goes the same. You know, you look at Kieran Phillips, who's had, what, three loans now and not really had that experience and spent two of them basically trying to control booming diagonals from defenders 40 yards away rather than playing in a town system. So you've got to manage that as well. And you kind of, it's not a case of lowering your expectations, but like, I can't think of any other way to say this, but Scott High can't play in front of his home crowd anymore. Ryan mm. Schofield can't play and couldn't play in front of his home crowd anymore. And you kind of have to, if you're going to have a proper academy system that works and that creates these players going forward, you have to be patient with players who need a little bit longer, players who don't make it, because not not everyone does who comes into a first team. Some aren't good enough are good enough until they pull on a first team shirt, and it just mentally it's a struggle. But you kind of do it for that once every ten years, where you get a Lewis O'Brien who comes in and is phenomenal, and you get two brilliant seasons out of them, and you sell them for big money. That's kind of what you're that's kind of what you're doing it for, and it, like your Lewis O'Brien one pays for years of that structure not just a season or not just like his development he pays for if you go get somebody goes for five or six million that pays for the whole structure effectively for you know a long time so yeah if town are serious about moving forward if they want to become a proper football club in the area i'm not saying they're not but if they want to reroute themselves in the area, they've got this fabulous training facility. They want to be the club that can pick the creme de la creme of Huddersfield's school kids, of Huddersfield's Sunday leagues, of Huddersfield's youth leagues. And they want to get them in a town shirt early. And they want to get them involved at the club. And they want to get them at Canal Side. And they want to get them addicted early. And they can't really do that at the moment. So for me... Mm. It is absolutely a positive move, absolutely the right thing to do. And I think that the argument that maybe it's change for change's sake, I couldn't really disagree more with that. I can understand the reasoning, don't get me wrong, um, because they haven't been very successful. But I would argue that's not because of the change of structure and leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, very positive. And uh, I, I completely agree. Pro Academy, Pro Academy, Tom. I think you're Pro Academy now. So. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm. I. I. I mean, I think what Dave kind of touched on there was that, and I don't know where. And I get. I like Scott High, and I like mm. Ryan Schofield, and I. I wonder if the kind of this kind of pressure that's come on the, the youth of town stems from how amazing the team was back in 2002-2003 when probably like 60-70% of the team was the academy and they got us back into what was League Division 1 at the time or whatever. 
And I don't know whether it's that kind of thing. And there's a lot of expectation now on players that come through. And it's like, you're coming through to this team. You've got to be good enough. It seems like there's more expectation on players like Scott High to do better than, say, Ben Wiles comes in as a as a few bad games. He's not going to get the same abuse as potentially Scott High has got in the past. And it's a, it's an, it's a really interesting one. Um, I, I think what Dave says is spot on. Yeah. 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 You're looking with with these players. There's different levels, and like the first level is that when they move into first team training, they basically don't get completely beasted. You know, they because it is a different level, and then the pathway is then into the first team. And the thing is, when they're in the first team, some players need 20 minutes, some players need 20 games, some players need a season. You you really can't you really can't judge it. You have to kind of believe it's like Diara. There's a fabulous footballer in there. You know, he's playing at French international youth levels. He's, as I said, he does silly things on the ball in in youth and academy football. It's not quite happening in the first team yet. We've seen flashes of it, but you need to believe that he can do that and give him the time and the patience to do it. I thought he looked completely lost against Norwich, but I think he'll learn from that because I don't think another game will pass him by in quite the same way as that Norwich game did. And you have to have patience with them to do that. And, you know, Jaheim Headley came in and he took to first team football like a duck to water, but he also, he was at fault for a couple of goals. Okay. But again, you have to kind of go, yeah, fine. As long as you don't make the same mistake 20 times, you know, as long as it's not, there's, there's evidence that you're learning and you're progressing. And, you know, one of the things that drove him out about Kamara is, You'd be you'd be twice the footballer if you just looked over your shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> just look over your shoulder, and you'll be such. And it used to drive me mad watching him, but he'll get it at some point. And he, you know, that young man's going to be quite the midfielder. It's it, it wasn't going to happen at Huddersfield Town for whatever reason, but you have to kind of with an academy structure, you can kind of be more focused, and you can kind of you have to. The, the one thing I would say. And I'm kind of addressing Kevin Nagel here, really. Who knows if he's a listener or not. But if you're going to switch to that system, it's not just about investment in terms of putting money to, into it. It's about investing in the right people. You know, mm-hmm. at, at that at that level, it's so silly to me that some clubs are still of the mind that they get, like, <laughs> they get a player who's never coached before. So they go, okay, well, we're going to put them in charge of the youth team. You're trying to develop these players. Put your best coach with the youth teams. You know, put your developing coaches alongside experienced coaches in the first team to bring them through. But put the best possible, most experienced coaches you can with the youth players. Because otherwise, you're expecting them to develop and they're only going to develop at the same rate as whoever's coaching them develops. So if you go and go, all right, well, this, I don't know, this, this, newly retired pro who has just got a bit of a name but has never taken a coaching session in their life let's stick him with the yeah. under 16s no it, it's it's mad to me that i just cannot get my head around that so i think you have to you have to invest time and patience and money and intelligence into how you do it that's that's the key thing and i think you'll you'll see the benefits from it from that yeah 
Here, here. Well said, Dave. Um, well, I think we'll I think we'll leave it there. But yeah, um, I suppose we'll see what happens with the academy. But that's certainly the approach I would like. Um, no, thanks, thanks to Dave and thanks to Tom for this. Thanks to all the listeners for tuning into this one. A little bit longer than normal, but I feel like we had a lot to cover, and you know, transfer windows coming up, and um, a lot of stuff to discuss. So, yeah, thanks to everyone for listening, and ta for now, and up the town. So town play up. Bring the car. Back to Huddersfield. Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal? Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via McDelivery afterwards. Three points, not nugget share box, spot on. Order McDelivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.